We're kicking off a summer sermon series through the book of 1 Peter, and I'm really excited about this, and we're calling it Hope for Exiles, because what this book is about and what really this first sermon is going to be largely about is the truth that like Peter in this book is giving people kind of a new perspective that changes the way we live. He's giving people kind of a new way to live in the world and encouraging the people of God to live faithfully in the world that they live in. Because when we start to begin seeing things God's way, when we get a new perspective, new lenses from which to look through, we, God can begin to rearrange the furniture of our lives, as it were. He can begin to put things back in place. When we get the categories right in our minds, we can begin to start to live in a way that is faithful. In the Apostle Peter, who wrote this book, knew this just as much as about anybody, right? Like he knew that like once Jesus came, once you encountered the risen Christ, once you place your faith in Jesus, that he begins to just, he begins to just rearrange everything in life. He begins to change it all. I mean, this was the guy that was like a political warrior of his time. He was a zealot. I mean, he literally cut the ear off of a dude when they tried to arrest Jesus. And now he's an apostle. He was, Peter was the person who was always kind of fumbling, never really quite understanding everything that Jesus was saying at the moment. But now, because of his encounter with Christ, he is beholding the work of God in the world and encouraging God's people. He was once the denier of Christ, right? And now he is Peter, Petros, which means rock, and the rock upon whom Christ would build his church. And he would follow Jesus to the very end, as tradition would say, even to be crucified upside down on a cross. Peter knew that a new perspective on life, that this transformation that comes with knowing Jesus would change everything. So let's sit under Peter's words for the next couple of months. Hear what he has to say. Because I think what we're gonna find is that this book written a couple thousand years ago is gonna, can really shape our moment right now. So with me, would you turn your Bibles to First uh, Peter? And we're gonna look, start right in verse one and continue on through verse 12. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter says this. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. 
You rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though not seeing him now, you believe in him, and you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy, because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that would come to you searched and carefully investigated. They inquired into what time or what circumstances the Spirit of Christ within them was indicating when he testified in advance to the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. This is the word of the Lord. We're going to work through our text and we'll have three different headers as is usual this morning. The first is our present reality. Present reality. Have you ever felt like you don't belong? That you didn't really fit in? Maybe you're in a different place that you weren't normally in and you realized you were different. I was once like um, on a mission trip and I remember the mission team leader put me in a cab by myself and I know like no Spanish other than like the word for bathroom and put me in a cab by myself, sent me to a church where I was gonna preach and told me he'd catch up with me later. And I was the only person in this church that could speak any English and I was really, really out of place. But maybe you felt out of place for more significant or serious reasons. Maybe you felt out of place in your own school because you've been bullied by classmates or things have been said about you. Maybe you feel out of place in your workspace because you're one of the only Christians there. <coughs> Maybe you feel that way politically right now in America. Feel like, man, there's no party that I feel at home with these days. Maybe it's because of the way in which other people just treat and act towards you. Maybe they treat you more of like a project than a person, more like someone to be fixed than someone to be seen and loved. Well, this book was written to people who felt out of place and who actually were out of place in the world. Look at how Peter starts off in verse one, to the chosen living as exiles dispersed abroad. And what I want us to see here is that Peter is kind of defining and saying forth what is really true about these Christians in this space and time and kind of laying forth the right perspective on who they were and who they are. Well, the kind of three things he says there is they're scattered. He's talking to, to Christians who've kind of been spread across this portion of the Greco-Roman world in a variety of people, in a variety of churches, the people of God kind of spread thin in a culture that thought they were weird. And they didn't have a dominant cultural voice. They were the people that when they were filling out their census every year or every 10 years, however they did it back in Rome, I don't know. Like when they got to the religion section, there was like, oh, there was like all these different religions. And there was like, well, mine isn't there. I guess I'm the other category, Right? They did not fit in to the broader society. 
They were scattered and scattered about the world. But Peter also says that these people were exiles and they were sojourners, refugees, resident aliens, people who aren't at home at home because the broader society rejected them. They were politically homeless, spiritually different, and socially frowned upon by the, by the world. But notice something here. Notice something in the text. As you look at it, Peter isn't saying, like he's not giving them tactics for how to blend in more. He's not giving them tools for how to assimilate into the broader culture more. What Peter says is who they are and how they are to see themselves. And what he says is that they're exiles, that this is who you are because of faith in Jesus. He wasn't just adjusting, like he wasn't trying to cozy up to them and say, oh, sorry, you feel this way. Here's some tips to fit in. He's saying, well, because of Christ, you are exiles. Because Christ chose you, you've, you're now scattered and you're exiled in this world. It's not your home. They're wanderers, they're pilgrims. And friends, many of us need to hear this. I need to hear this today because what's true about following Jesus is that if you place your faith in him, you automatically, by default, according to the word of God, by default, you become kind of an exile in this world. Like all of a sudden, Jesus kind of calls you into a new way of being that, that doesn't look like the way you used to live, that, that doesn't look like the world around us. This language is a metaphor for spiritual reality. But we aren't at home all the time in the systems of this world. And when I say that, I know that some of us here, we feel that, right? Like we've had to make decisions that have cost us something. I know some of you have had to make decisions because people at work have asked you to do things that are against your Christian principles and ethics that you've felt the consequences of, right? I know that some of us, like we feel not at home in our schools or our workplaces. I know some of us don't feel at home where we live or in our families. But here's the thing. I know when I say we're exiles, that there are some of us in this room who feel that. But then if we're honest, there are some of us in this room that don't. We don't really feel like we're exiles. We kind of feel like we fit right in. And what's interesting though, is that the Bible seems to say that, that those who follow Jesus will endure some kind of difficulty in the world. Look at 2 Timothy. He says this, in fact, all who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, what's that word? Will be persecuted. That there's something innately consequential about following Jesus, that we're kind of, we shouldn't be surprised when things are a little bit more difficult. And listen, I'm not saying this because I wanna draw this dichotomy about us against the world. I'm just trying to do what Peter's doing and say, hey, you are exiles, and the Bible says that in this world, we're gonna do battle against three things. We're gonna do battle against the world, the flesh, and the devil. We're, 
We're always gonna be struggling in a world that doesn't really understand us and understand what we believe or the convictions that we hold to, that we believe that a man died and was literally raised from the dead and walked this earth, ascended into heaven and was and is coming back. That we're gonna think, people are gonna think us strange. And then there's that, and then there's, there's always, there's the world out there and what they think about what we believe. And then there's also the sin inside of us, right? Where we're kind of always battling sin of some sort, our thoughts, our motives, our desires. And we might feel that more than anything else. The world, the flesh, and the devil. He's always trying to get us to doubt the love of God, accuse us and lie to us about our position with him. And if, if we're being perfectly honest, sometimes we don't do battle against our sin, right? We aren't struggling so much as we're giving in. Some of us, we aren't doing battle against Satan. And we don't really feel that different from the world. So we don't feel like exiles. But what Peter is kind of inviting us to is a new way of seeing yourself. And that new way is someone who doesn't fit in because of what you believe and to, don't, and to not be surprised. I want to take kind of an aside from that and talk about our political moment a little bit, which I know is risky. Pastors shouldn't talk politics. But some of us in this room have probably gotten caught up in the political moment that we're in. See, a lot of us have grown up in a world that, was, that maybe was a bit more friendly. Some of us have grown up in a world that was a bit more friendly to what we believed. And you can make arguments both ways about that. And for a lot of years, a lot of Christians tried to cozy up to power to try to influence things and look for hope there. And listen, don't hear me saying you shouldn't be a good citizen because you absolutely should be a good citizen. You absolutely should care about what goes on in the world and in our country. But friends, like when Christians cozy up to power and look for like Washington, D.C. Or, or the Capitol here or wherever as our hope, as, like, as what's, it's what's gonna deliver us from the maladies and the problems that we find ourselves in, we have, we have gone astray. We've forgotten that we're exiles, that we're never gonna really be at home. And that as Christians, like our primary citizenship, our primary place of belonging is, is in the kingdom of God that he has invited us to. This kingdom that doesn't look like the kingdoms of this world. This kingdom with a king that sits above every other king. And so we live as exiles, in this world, serving a king who's one day going to return. And what Peter does here is he reminds you and me that we can't look to those places for ultimate hope, that we can't act primarily as Republicans or Democrats, that he is calling us to act as his people, his chosen. So friends, we don't put our hope in those places. And we live in this world according to the Bible and the ways of Jesus, loving God, loving neighbor, speaking truth to power wherever it sits, calling for justice where there's injustice. We're scattered, we're exiles, and we are chosen. 
Peter goes on, look again at verse one. Right at the beginning, to the chosen and later, chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient and to be sprinkled with the blood of Jesus Christ. Here's the good news. Though we're exiles, though we're different, you're chosen. Chosen like he chose the people of Israel out of all the nations of the world to bless and make his name known. If you know Jesus Christ as your savior, no matter how how hard it is to follow Jesus, no matter how much you feel out of place, let this good news encourage your hearts that he has chosen you. He chose you, not because there was anything good within you that he would choose you, but because he is love and he chooses people to love. And when you're tempted to give up, when you're tempted to to just stop following Jesus because it's hard, because the pressures from the outside world are difficult, when you're filled with doubt and unbelief, let this warm your heart that you are chosen. And you've been chosen to glorify him. A new perspective of who we are changes how we live, which leads to our next point. Persistent hope. Persistent hope. Peter reminds his readers that though we're exiles and chosen, and then he gives a new perspective on how to work through their suffering. And Pastor David just preached an excellent sermon on this on Easter Sunday this past year, so we're, we're gonna look at this briefly, but look at what he says in verse six. Peter says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter gives a new perspective on our suffering. And that when we persevere through our suffering, what's happen is our, happening is our faith is being proven as legit, that God's using it to prove it as true. I love Tony Evans. He says it this way. Trials are to see if you believe what you say you believe. It's easy enough to remember. So God gives trials. We face trials and difficulties in this world because they have a testing and purifying quality to them that God uses them to actually prove our faith as true. But did you notice something here? That, that, that the passage started with rejoicing in, in why? Well, look at what it says above it, up in verse three, that because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You are being guarded by God's power through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed at the last time. The reason for rejoicing, friends, the reason for rejoicing in our trials and our sufferings and in the difficulties we face in this world is because this is that God has kept an inheritance for you that is unfading, undefiled, imperishable, and he's holding it for you. If you believe in Jesus, this is true for you right now. 
one of the things Nicole and I have had a habit of doing is, is putting things on our calendar that we like to look forward to, whether that's a trip that we're going on, um, time we're going to spend with friends or, or family, uh, dinner somewhere, a date night, things on our calendar that we can say, oh, this is coming up so that no matter how stressful life is, and believe me, my life is easy compared to most, um, or no matter how tiring life is, like that we have something that we can say, oh, this is coming. I'm really, really excited about that. And then kind of something to look forward to, something to help you keep going. And I can remember a particular season of life whenever I was, I was just really, really tired a lot. I was exhausted, anxious, spiritually depleted, and run down, and I knew I needed a break, and Nicole and I, we were gonna have our baby moon in um, Croatia, in Bosnia. And so we had that on the calendar, and I was so very excited. I got like books on rest, because there's nothing like giving yourself more to do when you need to rest. Um, But like, That trip, that vacation, that thing to look forward to helped me persevere. And friends, better than any European vacation, trip, meal with friends, is the promise of eternal life with God. More powerful or compelling than any vacation, any time of ease, any moment at the beach or mountaintop experience is this truth that there's an inheritance being kept for us in Jesus Christ. That that should help us move forward. That should help us keep going. When our suffering is hard, we remember that we have this thing on the calendar of our lives, and we're all going to get to that spot in the calendar. I have news for you. And And what it says for the Christian is that there's an inheritance being kept for you. It's unfading, it's undefiled, and God is holding onto it for you. So Christian, in the middle of your trial, you can rejoice. So let me ask, how often do you think about heaven? Like, do you ever like sit down and think, man, like there's gonna come a day when all suffering and sadness and everything, One children's Bible says, everything sad will become untrue. And God will wipe every tear from eye and the planet will be renewed and restored and we will dwell on it and God will dwell with us. Do you think about that? Like when you're going through that, that this, this struggle that we have right now is temporary. It's short because this is the antidote to crankiness. You ever met cranky Christians? super grumpy, bitter about life. Maybe you've been a cranky Christian. I probably have at one time or another. But have you ever met somebody who's going through a lot and they hold on to Jesus because they're just sure of his promise? It keeps them going. And this joy, this rejoicing that they have, isn't this like fake, like contrived happiness where there's always a smile on their face, but this joy is this inexpressible joy that just kind of is holding on to them and this hope that they have, it it helps them keep going. It's an anchor for their life. Peter gives us 
a new perspective on our suffering and you remind us that we have an inheritance being kept for us and that he is holding on to us. We are chosen, exiles, moving towards heaven, which leads to our last point, our privileged position. Peter shows that this position in the world, this being of exiles who are chosen by God is a privileged position, even in trials. He says that in verse 10, that the salvation that we have is what the prophets, which are the Old Testament prophets of old, it's what they searched and carefully investigated for, that that all of that Old Testament stuff that you see in your Bible, the stuff that gets weird and kind of confusing, um, all of that stuff that the prophets were thinking about, all of that stuff that they were investigating, that it was actually this. It was actually the truth about Jesus. And then, and then he says this in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you. These things have now been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Angels long to catch a glimpse of these things. Now I know angel talk is, always feels weird, but... But what he's saying here is that those prophets, what they were planning for was this moment. And we, you and me, the people that Peter was writing to, us sitting right here in Concord, New Hampshire, this is what they were waiting for, to participate in the life of Christ because of his death and resurrection. We are in a privileged position in the Bible that we're not the down and outs, that we're sons and daughters of the king. I don't know how many of you have um, followed the events of the past uh, three days, but it's the Queen of England's Platinum Jubilee, in case you live under a rock. Um, 70 years on the throne in England, born in 1926. She has seen a lot in her lifetime and probably a lot to learn from someone who's lived that long, too. But I don't know if you've been following the parades or the festivities or, or the, the service of Thanksgiving at St. Paul's Cathedral, but what you see in these displays of royalty are a lot of privileged people, right? They're people born into families with um, servants and cleaning people and people to do their laundry and um, people to watch their kids when they get cranky. And they're born into this kind of privileged position. There are, and this event has had crown, crown jewels, um, dresses, like they talked about where this dress that the queen made or was wearing was made and who made it and who designed it. Lots and lots of privilege, right? Or even there was like an official pudding, I think, too. But anyways, her and everyone in her family are privileged. They've lived kind of a charmed life, as it were. But how much more do we, as citizens of the kingdom, sons and daughters of the king of kings, how much more are we in this privileged position that we get to know what the prophet's long to see. We are privileged because of the salvation that we have in Jesus. We get to participate in God's 
cosmic plan. And this new perspective on our position in the world, on our privileged position, enables us to endure trials and focus on God's plan for the world. Your sons and daughters of the king, let this encourage you to keep going. As we bring this to a conclusion, we've been called chosen exiles. And this should lead to a life of living for God, no matter what our station is or season is, difficulty is, age, whatever it might be. And I don't know if you picked up when we were reading this passage, but there's something big and beautiful going on. And what's big and beautiful is the fact that God is working and that God seems to be working in spite of our difficulties and trials and that God was the one working to call us into himself. I mean, if you look at it, it's just woven with triune God languages. You see Father, Son, and Spirit all over the place. And you see that it's God who chooses us or elects us. You see that it's he that foreknows, is able to know in advance what is to happen. It is he that caused us to be born again into a living hope. It was the Spirit that sanctified us. It was Jesus who died so that we could be sprinkled clean as it says. It's it's God who guards us when we feel like falling away in our trials. It's he that holds on to our inheritance, guaranteeing it. And it's he that can give a deep, deep joy in the midst of life. God is the one who does all of that stuff. And we are called to live for him. We are in the privileged position of living for him. And he will give us a deep joy that no one can take away. And friends, it is from this new perspective on who we are and who God is and what he's done and is doing in the world that we can run to the world with this message of the gospel, that we can take the truth and share it with our neighbors that we can love the down and the outcast of society because we understand. Friends, we've been given a new perspective on who we are and where joy is found. It's not found in things. It's not found in comfort. It's not found in fitting in. It's found in Jesus. And this changes everything. And we'll explore in the weeks ahead what that looks like. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for being a God who calls us, who chooses us, who secures us, who gives us the spirit, who causes us to be born again, who makes us new. God, would you help us to see ourselves the way the Bible sees us? Would you impress upon our hearts the truth that we are in a privileged position because we know you? And Father, that privilege does not lead to pride. That privilege leads to humility because it's you who did all the work. Lord, help us to take this good news to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.